Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is UXK. 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 I'm your host, Lee Allen Arredondo. Hello, and welcome to episode 37 of UX Cake. This was a really special episode. It was a live recording for the podcast at Radical Research Summit in Vancouver, BC. Our panel topic was collaborative research, working with people in other disciplines, in other teams, even in other organizations or companies to produce really impactful research, the kind that will actually get integrated into the experiences that we're creating. So that's important. The panelists were speakers from the conference, Ariba Jahan, who's the Innovation Director at Ad Council, Judd Anton, who's the Director of Research at Airbnb, and Komal Faiz, who's a UX researcher at Zensurance. You'll get a fuller introduction to all of them at the beginning of the panel. Now, this episode is special not only because it was recorded live in front of an audience, which I really love doing so much, but also this one was different because about halfway through the panel, the fire alarm went off. <laughs> and yes, we had to evacuate the building. And although I'm laughing about it now, it was, <laughs> honestly, I can't even talk about it without laughing. But <laughs> at the moment, it was not terribly funny. Uh, in my head, I was just thinking, okay, how the hell are we going to make this into an episode? Yeah, I wasn't worried about a fire at all. So anyway, we edited that part out of the podcast, but you can see it for yourself if you want, unedited on our YouTube channel, if that interests you. Fortunately, we were allowed back into the building about 10 minutes later to finish up with one last discussion point and then some really great questions and answers with the audience. We got questions about everything from who has the power to make decisions to working in more agile ways to discovering and incorporating everyone's knowledge into the process and more. By the way, if your organization or conference would like to host a live recording of the UX Cake podcast, you can find out more about that by emailing us at team at uxcake.co. This was the fourth live recording UX Cake has had. And I mentioned I love doing this because there's just such a physical sense of the community. And the community is why I and the rest of the volunteer team even do this podcast. Also, they're really well attended and they get great download numbers. So it's also a great way to spread the news about your organization to a global audience. I also want to remind you to subscribe to our newsletter there's a link in the episode, or you can go to uxcake.co. You'll get monthly updates, but we're also putting together more free resources and bonus content for newsletter subscribers. All right, let's get on with the show. So we're going to start with Ariba Jahan, who is the Director of Innovation at Ad Council. And as part of this, Ariba collaborates with a widely diverse set of people, partners who are not at Ad Council, as well as the teams within 
Ad Council. And so that's a unique experience to be coming from. Judd Anton as the director of research at Airbnb, but he's also been a researcher and a research manager at other large companies like Yahoo and Facebook, which apparently don't necessarily have their act together in collaboration as well as Airbnb do. So lots of lessons learned that I'm sure he took with him to Airbnb and can give us that perspective from the large corporate side of things. Komal Faiz is a UX researcher who, in addition to her current experience in a tech startup, so that's also another sort of experience bringing onto the panel. And as you heard, she also worked on a large social good project with other researchers who were from other organizations, were in other countries. And so, you know, a lot of effort goes into collaborating. So Ariba and Judd and Kamal, thank you so much for being on the panel. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. We're going to start with uh, kind of setting the stage a little more for people in the audience might not have ever experienced collaborative research or would like some examples, maybe other examples of how collaborative research can be, what it can look like. So I'd like each of you to give us Just a short story from an example from your own experience of collaborative research. Yes, Ariba, please, why don't you start? Co-creation is definitely one way we do collaborative research where we create space for our users to join us in the process. We're not able to do that for every single project. I think that would be ideal. But we're hoping that by showing the value of the learnings that we gather and the insights that we get from working directly with our users, then more projects will create space and budget for co-creations. And another unique thing about the project I shared today was all the team members that focused on this work, we kind of all came in from very different functions So people were from strategy team, PR and social team, digital. And we even had some people from business development who was just interested in creating something for creating a more inclusive world for teens. And we create the space for everyone to kind of come on all hands on deck with level setting that let's all understand the research that's involved, let's all do the research, and then everyone has to do an interview, and everyone has to ideate, and everyone has to sketch and prototype. And the has to is also giving permission for everyone to realize, like, just because you're in a PR role doesn't mean you can't do research. Just because you are in a different function doesn't mean that your insights are not valuable. I think we've been talking about that a lot today. How is research, how can research be more part of our ethos and every department? And I think that was another way for us to show the value of research by inviting everyone to the table to do it together. I really agree with with the point that collaboration and research, one great thing it does is it show everybody that everybody can be a researcher and research is for everybody. I will always remember a collaboration we did at Airbnb a while back. It involved a pretty large team of researchers. It was one of the most effective examples I can think of of bringing in engineers and designers and data scientists and product managers 
to do this work. And what was so cool about it is that it was a series of research that was gone in a variety of countries. I think we went to Malaysia and Thailand and to Japan. And they organized it so that there was an away team and a home team. <laughs> and what, what that meant is that there was a cross-functional team of collaborators who went out into the field. During the day, they were in the homes of Airbnb hosts. They were testing uh, prototypes and getting feedback. They'd synthesize at the end of the day. And just as the home team was waking up, Nice. and do a handoff, and then they'd go to sleep and sort of repeat. And, and then the home team would sort of spend their working hours refining the concepts and coming up with new questions. And at the end of it, there were engineers who were just like fixing bugs and quirks in the back rooms, and just everybody felt ownership, and, and we just got to a better outcome faster, which is why I think collaboration is, is I think it's the best thing about collaboration and research. What else share about the value of collaboration? So my experience, as you were mentioning, um, my learnings are coming from one on a global scale, collaborating with other researchers. And on the other hand, my collaborations and teams in a tech space. So what I think the value of collaboration really brings in is this multidisciplinary understanding. These perspectives coming in from different fields, different industries, different countries, and geared towards one goal. It's like seeing the elephant from like different perspectives so that it becomes visible. The whole elephant becomes visible. And another thing that I think is very important in terms of that is there is this, there's this advantage in terms of shared experiences. In a collaboration, what happens is we get to have these shared experiences, which then help understand where we're we heading towards and how are we heading towards it together. And in terms of like my tech experience, what I really learned from this tech startup that I'm working at, Zensurance, is that this value of uh, retrospective conversations. So we are always talking together about what worked and how we can do it better. And that is only possible if you bring the idea of collaboration in teams, because you can make sense of what worked and how can we do it better if it wasn't people sitting together and trying to figure it out together. Awesome. Thank you, guys. That helps kind of set the stage for some of these questions that we came up with about uh, collaborative research. I think one of the questions we came up with when you are working with people on different teams, different disciplines, even different researchers, everyone is coming in with a different understanding of what collaboration is and uh, and possibly even what their role in collaboration should be. And so that that's kind of a, that's a tough place to start from. Ariba, you have a lot of experience with both partners and internal. Um, like how do you actually get that alignment on what collaboration is going to look like? I found, I learned the hard way that you have to be very, very uh, clear and transparent about what is the intention of the collaboration. Um, I think collaborating for the sake of collaboration doesn't make, doesn't make anyone feel like you're making progress or you're moving forward, but like really identifying what key milestones in your project will it, will diverse perspectives really um, make a huge contribution. And then everyone that you're inviting, you need to let them know why their perspectives really matter. And the fact that all perspectives are welcome to the table. And for me, what that looks like is providing pre-reading so that anyone who might have not been part of the project before, but now is being invited, they have an opportunity to reflect and get their thoughts in order. And that also helps introverts. 
So I think that's the other thing about collaboration is that sometimes when you bring people together, are you managing the room in a way where all voices are getting a second to share? So sometimes that looks like providing pre-readings as well as a really detailed agenda, just so people understand, like, is this meeting to make a decision or is this just to like put all types of ideas to the wall and be able to be as generative as possible? So we uh, use the modes open, explore, and close. Have you guys ever heard of that before? Open, explore, close? Okay, cool. So sometimes even in the agenda, I'll put in like this session, this meeting is all about opening all the options possible. So and can you just explain very briefly what is... Open, uh, explore, close? Yes, open, okay. explore, close. So open, explore, close are three modes of thinking. Opening is all about being as generative as possible. So unpacking all the options, all the questions, all the assumptions, all the things. And explore is a moment where you're taking all of that and then you're kind of like asking questions to vet your ideas, then working on top of someone else's ideas to push it a little further, thinking about what research insights may inform on which ideas to move where or the questions that's been raised, which questions should be prioritized. And closing is then kind of going through that messy exploration process to then come to a conclusion on, okay, here are a few ideas that we need to like explore a little further to figure out whether any of these are right. Here are some questions that we've really unpacked and we've, we've identified that these are our knowledge gaps. So like the open explore close helps people who really love hanging in the open space. They know like, oh, okay, today is all about making decisions or people who are closers, right? People who only love making decisions. Okay. Today is all about being generative. So giving them the permission to be generative today, knowing that another session will be made for us to close and make decisions. So I found tools like Open Explore Close to kind of like flatten everyone's roles too. Like today, we're all going to be generative. And then we also start those sessions with some agreements. Um, agreements are just like some pillars we identify that are critical, like creating space for everyone to be heard. So if someone else hasn't had a chance to share, making sure like you're kind of encouraging others to share, not by like pointing at them or calling them out, because I don't think anyone enjoys that, but um, just being mindful of the shared voices and making sure people are aware of their body language. Sometimes people can cue whether or not they disagree with something just by their facial expressions or their body language. So if we're in an open mode, don't do that. So I found like being, <laughs> being very clear about some agreements where we're like, if we're being generative, what does that really look like? If we're exploring and what are we hoping for discourse and friction to really happen so that we can be diligent and make sure that we have standard practices and then closing for like decision making. I want to point something out here, just the role of the facilitator here, especially yes. in terms of the researcher playing that role, because we as researchers are so used to looking at things in a neutral way, keeping our biases and assumptions at check and knowing what our assumption biases are, we can actually navigate these kind of collaborations in a better way because then we are thinking about things like how do we actually, you know, bring down the dominant voices and bring up the unheard voices and how do we navigate them through, um, make people see at the open part of the process and then make people see the importance of the closing part. So yeah, I just wanted to add. Yeah, I think that harkens back to our keynote this morning mm -hmm. from Judd, where let's use our hard skills of research to actually facilitate 
a structure of collaboration. Yeah, um, I was thinking about how the awareness that one needs to have around the context to make successful collaboration, just thinking about three environments I've been a part of, Airbnb, Facebook, and Yahoo. I think at Airbnb, I often, in the context of collaboration, need to force people to be, or not force, I don't force anybody <laughs> to do anything, but <laughs> the encouragement needs to be to get concrete. Like, we don't hurt for innovation or big ideas. There's lots of that. It's it's more like, let's converge. Everyone gets a job. I need you to act. You're going to be a part of this. Take notes, interview, synthesize, whatever. At Facebook, my experience, and I should also say that that's a giant company with a lot of different contexts in it, and I haven't worked there in a long time, so I don't pretend to know what it's like anymore. But my experience was often different and opposite. It was very operational, and I had to encourage collaborations to think more openly. And then kind of at Yahoo, it was just like, who are you again? (laughs) What are you doing here? So uh, anyway... <laughs> the point is, the point is, I think a successful collaboration needs to respond to the environment and the context in which you're operating. Maybe that's the most obvious point of the afternoon. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> necessary. Yeah, it's like the the more techniques that you have in your toolkit yeah. is what worked for you might not work for me. What worked for me last time might not work with this new client. So we have to be really flexible and adaptable, which fortunately as researchers, I think that comes also with the territory of being in research. And I'm curious, Kamal, actually working with other researchers. So I would imagine they're very comfortable with collaboration, but perhaps have different ideas about what that looks like or what they're used to doing. Definitely. I think uh, one part of that was, um, well, besides that, the communication part was a big thing for us because we were in like different time zones, different professions even, like some of them were academics, some of them had like full-time job. I was running my own company. So in terms of this sort of collaboration, the one thing that we all experienced was we would bring different perspectives but we will always have space for another person. Like I remember um, Dr. Andre, who's uh, the chair of ergonomics at Coventry University. She met us and we were talking about, okay, she has these assumptions about mobility. And then she said, but what do you guys think? You know, raising that, that bit of a space and making that space in terms of, okay, I have this opinion and I hold on to it strongly, but what do you bring into this conversation? I think that was the best piece. Um, however, we did struggle a bit in terms of our our perspectives on what mobility looked like in these countries. So because we were all coming from different backgrounds ourselves, we were coming from our own lived experiences and what we had seen and what we had observed. So our understanding of mobility in these three different countries was coming from those perspectives. And then those conversations were where we had our different ideas come together. So, for example, I talked about this thing that mobility in low-middle-income countries has dissimilarities. And in the beginning, all our perspectives, especially perspectives of others in the group, besides like the two South Asians, it was more as like all these countries would have same similar problems. And then we, when we conducted that research, we actually came to this understanding that they're not the same. So... 
if we would have like mentioned that in the beginning saying, oh, no, 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 this is what I think would not have made any difference. But when the user and when the people and the narrative start saying those things, it helped bring that idea together. So yeah, in terms of some of the issues, that's what I think the perspectives, but having that space is very important. Ariba and I were just talking about how valuable this type of thing is at the end of the day when people, especially this conference, lots of questions come up and you're hearing lots of really great ideas, but maybe thinking, okay, how can I actually do this? I do want to ask one more question, but my point is I really want to get to Q&A. I would like you guys to be able to ask questions. Kamal was just talking about, or I I think I had mentioned with researchers, working with other researchers, you can at least assume that they understand the value of collaboration and collaborative research, but that is not always the case. I'm not sure if any of you have ever experienced this, but I have in both a corporate setting and in a uh, client stakeholder experience. That is not the case, that they're like, well, you know, we've always just gotten a handoff. Can you just do the handoff thing? So it's um, not embedded in the culture and the DNA of those experiences. Yeah, exactly. And I think, uh, Judd, you probably, coming from the corporate experience, must have some experience with this and maybe how you get people to understand the value of collaboration. Yeah, I think uh, we discussed this a little earlier. Partly people, like your average engineer at a tech company, may not realize that they can have a voice and be a part of what research is. They just don't think of it as part of their job. But I give this exact example in our onboarding in a sort of section when people join Airbnb, I'm sort of talking about the different value that quantitative and qualitative and uh, research and data science provide. And the thing I always say is that there's a thing that even an N of one can do every time, and that's provide an existence proof. And especially with engineers, I've seen that existence proof be so powerful because an engineer who didn't realize that research was the thing they could participate in, you get them into the back room or you get them facilitating. And and the thing that they built that they think was just so intuitive and amazing, and it falls apart so badly in front of their eyes once, it doesn't matter how common that is. The bubble is burst. And so I think a lot of what participating and collaborating with those people is, is showing them, one, this is for you as well. Your job can be this. But then also, once they've had that first experience of insight, which can happen from just one person, there I can think of the faces and names of people who have never gone back and have become the converted in a certain way. I want to add just a bit here. I think there is also this thing about having allies in your organization, in your company, in that setting that really adds to it. And that's also a bit about collaboration. I think, Ariba, you were discussing about that earlier as well having people who kind of see things in the same way and can become your allies in setting forward a stage for value of UX research, value of collaboration could also be a great, you know, way forward. And Mm -hmm. how do you do that is something that needs work. Well, I think we heard one example this morning from Judd. You find the two people who you really, really need to get on board with you and you work on some ways of maybe even collaborating or actually showing the value. Hey, you find out what motivates them. Do some research on that topic. Does it sound like a trick? <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a trick, but it works. It, you know, I call that authentic curiosity. I love it. Yeah. 
Um, okay, we have 10 minutes left, and maybe we'll go over a couple minutes. I really want to make sure that we get some questions and can provide some answers. Okay, we have a question up on top. Hi, my name's Jen, and when I hear collaboration coming from like a planning background and stakeholder engagement, I think about the ladder of engagement, like consulting, informing, collaborating, and then at the peak of that, having empowerment. So I'm just wondering in your work, if you've had situations where teams have been fully empowered and how that would differ from collaboration and just weaving that into your work at all. When you say fully empowered, what do you mean by that? Empowered to do the collaboration? Yeah, empowered to make that like closing decision. So when you talk about open and then coming to that close, in a collaborative situation, there is that entity, person, or organization that holds the power and can ultimately make the decision. Whereas in an empowered situation, you have the group that is fully making that decision without that one entity. Right. I think that's the power of research. So I think the examples I shared earlier, and I just realized the podcast listeners won't have the examples per se, but oftentimes you get into a brainstorm, right? And there are stickies everywhere. Everyone's had a great time. If it's facilitated well and space has been created for all voices to be heard, plenty of solo storming really helps with that. Do you guys know solo storming when instead of screaming out your ideas, you take a second to write them down? This is to prevent groupthink and then later on share. So what happens sometimes is people do the thing, they have a great time, they feel like their voices were heard, and then no one knows who makes the decision. Or like the decision is made somewhere over there by somebody and then you just hear how it was rolled out and then you're trying to figure out, I didn't remember that idea being shared in the room. What happened? And for us, what's really been helpful is being very thoughtful and intentional about like detailing out the process. Like here's when we're going to do the opening. Here's where the closing is going to happen. But this is how it's going to happen. And whether or not it is democratic, are there constraints that must be considered for, and what are they? And so if we're opening, then the exploring phase is when we're really transparent about our design constraints. And then that's when we also make sure, like, are we still informed by our research and our user insights? So I think that's where being a UX researcher really allows you to be a key player in that and making sure, like, cool, let's make sure we're making decisions based on what we're finding. Or as well as in that moment, what other questions do we really need to get out there and uncover first before making the decision. So being intentional about like why research matters in order to make those decisions and being intentional in communicating that with other people that are involved so they understand like this is what progress looks like in moving forward in the project and this is how we are making those decisions. And so are you saying that by doing these things, structuring it this way, getting people on board with the value of collaboration actually then creates the empowerment? Yes, I think the empowerment happens. I think Kamal was saying a really great facilitation helps with that. But also you need a company culture that values collaboration, that values different perspectives being shared. So I think you can do what you can in a room, but the company culture also has to be shifted. And the company culture also has to respect decision of the many and not decision of the few and user user research informed. And I think you get there by 
identifying the projects where you can show that and you can prove that value and you communicate that value so that other people can see like, oh, okay, I see what happened there. How do I also get that win? Okay, research. There's also this thing about collaboration sometimes has this idea that everyone has to own the stuff equally and everyone has to take away something equally. Sometimes it's not important that in collaboration, all of the key players or stakeholders involved take it up equally. There's one good thing that we do in our team there is that sometimes when we are collaborating, we take away chunks of that final solution and we say, okay, this part, we will take full autonomy. This part, so for example, my UX team will take up, okay, so design part, we'll do tech part, you guys do product, you help us, you know, navigate this, and then we'll come back to it and see where it is. So I think sometimes this idea of collaboration also becomes like a myth that because we're collaborating, everyone should have the same ownership of that, which is not true and doesn't have to be true because it's, again, different teams coming together with their own goals, with their own ideas. And so it's okay to take away, you know, autonomous portions of that thing. I totally agree that the best collaboration doesn't have to be 100% consensus driven. Often that's actually not a good way to approach it in my experience too. I agree. Those get conflated so often. I would say if you can create space for people to disagree, is really powerful. One of the books I recommended was Nonviolent Communications. It's so good. It's really all about like, how do you create space for that discourse so that in the exploration phase, you have different people coming at it to borrow your words earlier, um, to look at the same elephant from different sides, right? And then be able to share that. And sometimes the lenses may not match, right? So instead of consensus, being able to say, I don't really agree, but I can commit to testing this, right? I don't necessarily agree with that idea, but how could we test this in a way where we can get evidence to move a little forward? Do we have any other questions? Oh, we have a bunch now. Uh, hi, I'm Yan. I'm wondering, uh, thank you for talking about how we should have all voices heard. As someone new to, relatively new to the uh, UX field though, I find that imposter syndrome could be a little bit counterproductive to contributing to collaboration. I wonder if you have any tips on how to manage that. Imposter syndrome on the part of the researcher or on the part of the people you're trying to get to collaborate with you? I think both. Okay. So just internally feeling the power that you have power to do so. Okay. I have a interesting way of looking at it. I've experienced in a lot of situations that I'm the outsider and I'm the one who won't be a part of this conversation as such. And recently, not recently, a couple of years ago, what I learned was uh, when I started looking at it as a leverage point and not as a syndrome... So every time I feel that way, I tell myself that it's a good thing that I feel this imposter syndrome because now I can step back a bit, take a step back and be able to see this with a more neutral and unbiased perspective. And it's good that I can't relate too much because then I'm not so emotionally invested in this. So I would say like spinning it around in another way has really worked for me and Maybe, you know, you can try it too and see. Okay, let's get another question. So I'm Julia. I'm a part of the research team at Nike, and we're really focused on working more collaboratively right now. So I'm excited that we're having this conversation. One of the challenges we're facing is that 
we support the digital organization and we're really focused on velocity and working really in really agile ways. And we're finding that if we collaborate and involve multiple qual quant teams, it slows us down. Um, and so I wonder if you have any guidance around kind of how to manage that and know that it will result in a stronger outcome, but it may take longer to get there and how to kind of manage stakeholders who have an appetite for working really quickly. I have a concrete suggestion that I've I've seen work, which is to think of it in two phases. The first is is very short. Maybe it's just one day or one meeting, but it's the part where you need everybody to come together, efficiency be damned, to make sure everybody's voice can be heard and, and you're all together on the same page about what you're going after and how you're going to work together. So that's like phase one. It's the beautiful kind of group hug moment. And then you divide and conquer. Right. And then you break the project down into discrete units that can have specific collaboration points. So maybe they don't all have to come back together into the group hug. Maybe the way they work is actually the different teams are taking ownership of bits. And it's clear for each one of those bits where they need to reach out to somebody else in the group, but it's probably not everybody. So it's sort of taking that one-two approach. First, the big group moment to get everybody aligned with a shared framework and understanding and uh, everyone's voice is heard. Then second, break it down into pieces and milestones with explicit points of collaboration that are more small and manageable so you can just knock it out. What's the outcome? Is there a phase three? Everyone contributes to an outcome? Like maybe you come back together at the end for a kumbaya. Although I guess I'll say, at least in the places I've worked, the impact happens along the way. And that final moment is usually, it's not that it's not worth doing, but it's like not about the glossy deck. At least in the environments where I've worked, I know that if you work, for example, on the consulting side, it's very different. If there's a handoff, it's very different. But, you know, you kind of, might want the final moment, but it's worth asking, did we deliver 90% of the value all along the way? Hopefully you did. And if so, maybe it's time to just, it's okay. You can just keep going. The only thing I'll add to that is the working sessions that you identify, the small bursts, is identifying which functional teams overlays in a way that they really do need to collaborate and being specific on what that outcome looks like. That's also been helpful is to identify the teams that overlay in those critical moments. Have time for one more question. How do you reconcile being the most informed person in the room while trying to create this environment of collaboration? Good. <laughs> I, I guess my honest first thought is uh, don't assume you're the most informed person in the room. I mean, you may have spent the previous year doing research on this topic, but if the people you're collaborating with aren't bringing valuable insight of their own, then it's not a collaboration that's worth doing. So I realize that's not what you, what you mean. I think maybe my encouragement is to come at it from the point of view that everyone is here because they have something equal to offer and that, um, yes, I may have the technical expertise as a researcher or have studied this topic for a while, but I actually am not going to assume, at least at the start, that I'm more informed than anybody else. You, you create an even playing field that way. You open yourself to other people's knowledge that you might actually not. You know, I've had that experience before where I didn't anticipate just how much I didn't know. And then, you know, in comes an engineer, a product person, a marketer, and they blow my mind. And I love that. I was just going to say, this makes me think about the research assignment that you gave everyone earlier. I was about to say yesterday. It was not yesterday. It was earlier today. 
with uh, researching your own teams to understand their motivations and like just getting to know them through authentic curiosity. For me, that's really helped me because I don't have a specific team that I work with. I work with everyone and anyone across the whole company. So being able to identify what why certain people needs to be brought together in order to collaborate means I need to understand what knowledge gaps do I have that I need them to come and fill. You know, and my assumption is always that someone else knows way more than I do in something that I don't even know exists. Um, so I plus one to that. Yeah, I want to add to that. So we were talking about context earlier. And uh, when you said informed, it makes me think informed in a particular context. And everyone coming in that collaboration that's what everyone's thinking too most of the times is that I'm informed in my context. So absolutely agree to both of you. But yeah, it's just about having that perspective of that little bit of space of saying, okay, I'm more informed about this context, but then so many other contexts in the room. And I think that's what collaboration is. And if we don't appreciate that, that's where the friction in collaboration comes in. Yeah, and just for something concrete, to answer your question, what do you do if you're the most informed? And then it turns out all the other people think they're the most informed. So it'd be really great if everybody could find out what everyone else is informed about, right? And one way of doing that, I've found, is doing a blueprint all together and kind of a blueprint analysis, or there could be other ways, journey mapping, just building it together based on your own knowledge, you know, which you're going to go out and test later, or maybe you already have, you know, user input to that. But that way, everybody has a chance to give their information that they know. One idea. We're done. If you enjoy the UX Cake podcast and you want to help us grow our community, I have three action items for you. First, share this episode with a friend or colleague. There is a share function in every podcast platform, including on our website. You can also share a link to an episode on your work Slack or your social media channel of choice. That gets this content to more people who find it useful. Number two, rate and review the UX Cake podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. This is the social proof that potential sponsors and partners we want to work with look to. If you don't have an iPhone, you can still rate and review in iTunes on your computer. Just search for UX Cake in the iTunes store, click on the podcast, and go to the ratings and reviews button. And number three, subscribe to our email list at uxcake.co and to our Twitter or LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook or all of them, if you like. Thanks again for listening and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a bite. UX life is hard. Eat more cake.